I am a sucker for justice. It's one of those things that I am drawn to. Something as um, Kath kind of alluded to as we pray in our prayers of intercession, we're drawn to the injustice of the world. We don't like it. Something about it frustrates us. We don't like seeing big corporations abuse the power we have. We don't like seeing leaders of nations use the power and the might of their nation against others. But I have to be real with myself. Despite all of that, I'm not opposed to slipping $50 into my bank when I'm playing Monopoly. I have selective justice, I've decided. I have a selective way of processing it. Monopoly aside, I think all of us can be on board with this idea of justice. This idea of right and wrong. I believe it's in the very makeup of us as humans to have an understanding of those things that are right and those things that are wrong. Be that something in our DNA or the way that we've been brought up, but we are from a young age taught life has rights and it has wrongs. How we live out right and wrong is up to each one of us. So be it an extra thousand pound between friends on a monopoly board or walking past a homeless person and ignoring them, we choose when we embrace the rights, when we embrace the wrongs, when we are pro-justice or a part of injustice. Every day we have the opportunity to make those decisions. Every day we get to be a part of it. The wonder is, and this is something that I concluded as I started to look at this idea of grace, is it is something that's different to each of us. There's something beautifully unique about that. Something wonderful about the fact that the things that infuriate me won't infuriate you. And so on and so forth. So I'm going to give you a small example. I work here in this building most of the week. Therefore, I drink a fair amount of coffee in this building, asked Sylvia. But... I would suggest around 70% of the coffee that I consume is from Greg's, just over the road. So daily, worryingly twice a day, often, I will walk over, purchase my coffee. I'm incredibly polite. They know me over there. I have a very good relationship with them. I walk back. I'll sit down in the office, and I'll carry on working. Weekly, a scenario that plays out. For some of you, you'll be wondering, how is that simple story a cause for a spike in our justice scale? How do we see right and wrong in that? How can we blur the line of black and white? But I've made a few observations of myself. The first one, for some of you, how ethical is the coffee that I'm drinking? For some of you, the first thing you think of when you hear coffee is fair trade. Others, you don't care. That's okay. But it's different for each of us. Some of you are worried about my well-being, so do I need coffee? Would water suffice? It will quench my thirst, and caffeine is a little bit addictive, so some of you are a bit concerned about that. A few of you are incredibly grateful that I didn't drive. I think that's probably a good thing. Some of you, and especially in today's society, will be questioning, and this is a question that I've asked of myself, does he use a paper cup every time he goes? And until Friday, the answer was yes. And then on Friday, I took a reusable one. 
Did I offer anyone else in the building a coffee? That seems fair. Did I leave money in the charity box? Is the charity a worthwhile, trustworthy charity? And then the big one, why did he not shop with a smaller local retailer? A very simple story actually has a whole host of reasons for us to engage with this battle of justice, this idea of right and wrong, good and evil. Because as humanity, we live very comfortably in the black or in the white. Because we find comfort in the extremities of knowing, you know what, this is good, and I can settle on this being good, and this is bad, and I can settle on this being bad, and it's different for each of us. But there's a comfort being there. There's a comfort having that control. The problem is, somewhere between the black and the white is the grey. And I believe that grace lives in the grey. I believe that is where we find grace. So what does this grey area look like? What does this grace space appear like? The dictionary puts it like this. Grace, in the Christian belief, is the free and unmerited favour of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. For me, black and white appear when it is clear, when there is two ends to the right and the wrong. Grace appears in the grey. Grace appears in the grey. And what grace does and what the grey does is it disarms both sides. The dictionary puts it like this. The free, unmerited favour of God. That's what grace is. The free, unmerited favour of God. Unpacking it further, breaking it down. Unmerited means not deserved. So therefore, what we are left with is this understanding of grace. God's goodness given freely, irrespective of deeds. God's goodness given completely freely, irrelevant of deeds. This is why it lives in the grave, because we need some understanding of how to gauge grace. And yet as we read, it doesn't hang on to any of the things that we use to gauge good and bad, right and wrong. Because it's free, it's not merited. Philip Yancey, I'm sorry this came out so small, my computer screen, it looked huge. I'll read it to you. Philip Yancey in What's So Amazing About Grace puts it like this. Grace means there is nothing I can do to make God love me more. And nothing I can do to make God love me less. It means that I, even I who deserve the opposite, am invited to take my place at the table in God's family. I, who deserve the opposite, I'm invited to take my place at the table in God's family. I really enjoyed putting this message together because I like the idea of saying things that some people will find uncomfortable. I don't make it a habit. I feel quite vulnerable at times. But I do like searching and spending time having the privilege 
of looking into the Bible and finding those things that I think we can just glaze over. We all understand grace. We're all okay with grace. But I wonder how many of us have ever thought about how grace fits in to our lives. How does grace outwork itself? So for those of you who are less than impressed with this idea of grey, for those of you who are still rigidly sat believing good and bad, black and white, I believe this passage helps us to see how the lines are blurred. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner owner, sorry, who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them one denarius. There's a straight line. There's our understanding. There's the beginning of a story. The problem is from there on, confusion starts to reign. At nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. You also go and work in my vineyard. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. We in our heads have already begun to draw lines of understanding. The way that we set life up means that we feel there is a way of gauging how much someone deserves. Where this all fits together. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired, going to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and received a denarius. So when those who came and were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. It wasn't until I heard Suzanne speaking about it that I realised the sheer beauty of that simple moment. Because it's one thing to be employed first and get to knock off first. It's a real kick in the teeth to be employed first, paid last, and be paid the same as those that arrived late and got to knock off early. This passage is really emphasising something about the way God sees grace. And that is that every single structure of justice, every understanding of right and wrong we have, fails to even become close to how grace works. This is, as we read at the end, a kingdom that is upside down, where the first shall be last and the last shall be first, where our understanding of black and white fall into insignificance in the wonder of God's grace. The beauty of this passage is the more that we read it, the more time we spend in it, the more we begin to realize this isn't just a parable. This is a direct challenge to each of us. This isn't just a story explaining how God's grace works that we can read and come away feeling more educated. This is Jesus speaking directly into the lives of the listeners. This is Jesus challenging us today. I wonder if any of you felt uncomfortable as I read the passage. I wonder if any of you felt particularly proud. When we read this passage and relate it to the idea of God's grace, where do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as the first employed? I've been there from the start. I am, I am working for this. Maybe you're a middayer. You're not confident enough to be the first, but you are definitely not as bad as those that rocked up late. Or maybe some of us 
do that humility thing where we're like, oh, I'm like those that turned up at the end. You know, all day I've been ignored. I didn't, didn't deserve this. This story is very much a story of our relationship with a gracious God. This story is very much a story of how we have a responsibility to live out grace. It's not about our employment history. This is about God. And when he engaged personally with us, individually, it's not about sculpting an impressive CV of a day's labor. As I said to you, I'm a passionate believer in justice. But I wrestle with grace. I wrestle with grace because I see this idea that I hold of justice, of right and wrong, and then I embrace something like grace and it doesn't line up the way I want it to. It doesn't line up how I want it to. The reason being this, I believe. Grace cuts through all opinions and all sides of the story. Grace cuts through all opinions and all sides of the story. It doesn't matter who got to God first to say their piece. Grace cuts through all of it. Grace is not held by expectation. Grace is not held by understanding. Why? Because grace is God's gift. And as we heard, freely given and not deserved by anyone. I want us to grab an understanding this evening of grace. I want to use this passage where I can to help us get a grip of it. Really bad choice of background. So using this passage, let's explore. Looking at this passage, let's try and understand how life fits into the black and the white and how God loves to operate in the grey. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner oh no, sorry, who went out early in the morning to hire workers from his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard black. Easy to understand, clearly defined. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard. White, clear to understand. So they went. He went out again at noon and at about three and did the same thing, black. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard, white. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call all the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. And the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a Daenerys black. This is where it begins to blur. So far, it makes sense. This is how life works. I've worked all day. I'm paid for a whole day's work. I've done a half day. I get paid for half a day. I have an entire cup of coffee. I pay for an entire cup of, an entire cup of coffee. If I have half a pint of something, I don't expect to pay for a full pint of something. We have a structure, and this fits that structure. 
This fits. And the thing that proves it is verse 10. So when those who were hired first came, they expected to receive more. Those who were hired first came and expected to receive more. It's what we do. It's how we function. I deserve more. I've done more. I am better. Therefore, I should get more. And then we find ourselves smack in the middle of black and white, stood in the grey of grace, but each one of them also received a Daenerys. Each one of them also received a Daenerys. Our understanding is that these guys worked longer. We assume they worked harder because they were there for more time. And if time and pay go hand in hand, and we're saying the very first who worked one hour were paid one, those that worked five hours should get five, and we have an understanding, and yet we read in the grey, they're paid the same as those who worked for one hour. The facts at the beginning are clear. Sorry. Recruitment. The facts at the end of the day are clear. Those who arrived at the very last are paid one Daenerys. The facts of expectation are clear. Those who arrived first expect the most. But then the fact of payment is blurry because they got paid the same. Right now, it's quite comfortable for us to hear this because we can relate to the story. We can look at the story and say, you know what, I can see why they might be a bit offended, why they might be put a bit out. But how does it relate to our lives? How does it relate to us sat here? How many of us believe that because we did good, we deserve something good? How many of us hold this theory when we look upon others that they did bad? So they deserve something bad. How many of us maybe say to ourselves, I have been to church eight times this month. I have not missed one small group. I have prayed every single morning, God. Therefore, I am stood deserving of your goodness. But they, they've not been in months Surely when I weigh up blessings, God, mine should outnumber theirs. We live our lives by equations, by the rules that we've written of black and white. And yet grace swoops in. How does the vineyard deal with this equation? How does he resolve the problem? How does God tell us to understand what he's doing? Verse 13, but he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you. Friend, didn't you agree to work for Daenerys? Take your pay and go. I want to give to the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. I want to give to the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Was he being unfair? He paid them exactly what he agreed to pay them. What had happened was the workers had started to compare 
their relationship with the owner with other people. If we build it into our own lives, what we start to do is we start to compare our relationship with God with how other people's relationship with God works. We start to play this game of comparisons. We start to ask the question to begin with with ourselves and then maybe with our close friends, how come I didn't get that chance? Why, why did they get that chance and not me? They didn't deserve that. Mark touched on it this morning. We can end up with this but question. We seem to be very good at it in church, be it from God's calling on our lives and the challenge that might be to trying to understand why things that work out for us don't work out for others, why others are blessed in ways that we aren't. But God, I do more than they do. But God, I come to more of the things that are put on. God, I love you more than they do. You've got to see that. God, I never would dream I never dream, God, of doing what they've done. Never dream of it, God, let alone do it. I want to warn us against this. What happens is we end up pleading. We end up relating to God via another person's life. We lose the personal intimacy of our relationship with God because all we ever do is come to him because of things that are going on with other people. God, why did they get that chance? God, why hasn't that happened to them? They were bad. This passage highlights two things very clearly for us. One is a little bit more searching. The other one, I think, is a bit more obvious. The first one that maybe takes a little bit more searching for us is this. Our relationship with God is ours. Our relationship with God is ours, not anyone else's. It looks like my relationship with God, and I'm okay with that. And it looks like your relationship with God and your relationship with God. It doesn't look the same because it's not the same. God is a personal, intimate God. He sent Jesus to die for your sins. So therefore it looks like your relationship with him. God's love is for you, the individual. The outpouring of that love is shown in his grace. For each of us, sinners. It's what it boils down to. It's what we see in this passage the second thing, and this is key, please, please hear this. Grace is not about what's fair. Grace, praise Jesus, is not about what's fair. Because if it was about what is fair, we would all be in serious trouble. From the very first employed on that morning to the very last to walk through the doors at the end of the day, we would all be in trouble if grace ran on a structure of fairness. Grace is not fair. Grace is not black and white. It's not logical. It doesn't fit into the normal convention of good and evil. Grace is outrageous. Grace is one of the most outrageous things we'll ever have the privilege of interacting with. And the first part of that is because we don't deserve to interact with it. That's how good grace is. 
Grace says that someone who commits their lives to God at 15 and lives their whole life in a manner worthy of God, someone who commits their life at 15 and lives out a whole life worthy of God, deserves grace as much as the sinner who gives their life to God with 15 minutes left. Grace is outrageous. Grace is not fair. We want to know who deserved it more, God. Why? Why did that person have to live a life for you and that person got to do all the things they wanted to, but yet they got the same reward? Grace is not fair. Grace says someone as evil as Hitler is as worthy as someone as caring as Mother Teresa. That's what grace says. We see who deserves it more. God sees everyone needs it. Grace doesn't see who deserves it. Grace sees everyone. Because it knows, God knows, everyone needs it. Every one of us needs it. Grace is living life in the grey. One of the first things that I think we need to realise is grace is accepting it doesn't all make sense. I'm okay with that. Because the bits of sense that I make from the Bible suggest that I need grace more than I need to understand. Grace, crucially, is not an excuse for us to give up trying. Grace is not an excuse for us to pack it all in. It's not what grace is about. Grace isn't about giving up, trying to understand what God's doing and just saying, you know what, God, fine. I don't get it. I'll just, I'll just roll on with life. Grace is about knowing this, that his grace is enough for us. That's the only thing you need to understand about grace. His grace is enough for us. And if it's enough for us, and this is the kicker, if grace is enough for us, it's enough for those out there. It's enough for those in our lives that don't know him yet. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter who they are. Grace is enough for them. And no, it doesn't make sense. And no, we don't understand it. But it's enough. So I want to ask you this question. I want you to ask yourselves it. Do you live looking to pour out grace on the lives of those around you, or do you live looking upon them with judgment? Would you rather tell them what they've done wrong or tell them that God loves them? Because that's how grace works. Let grace wash over you and let it wash over those around you. In closing, Philip Yancey, and what's so amazing about grace, again says this, Grace is the only force in the universe powerful enough to break the chains that enslave generations. Grace is the only force in the universe powerful enough to break the chains that enslave generations. Syria, grace is the only thing that's going to break that. Those people in your lives caught up in addiction, grace is the only thing that's going to break through. Grace is the only force in the universe powerful enough to break the chains that enslave a generation. Grace may well be life lived in the grey. 
But the truth is, our very best understanding of black and white, our very best understanding of good and bad, of right and wrong, of good versus evil, all of those things, without grace, all of that understanding falls short. Because without grace, this world is lost. Without grace, I am lost. Without grace, all of us are lost. So I praise God for his grace, as little of it as I understand. I praise him for it, freely given and undeservedly received. If the kingdom of God is an upside down, first being last, grey-coloured kind of place, that's where I want to be living. That's the life I want to be leading. That's the example I want to be setting. Justice, good and evil, right and wrong, they differ for each of us. Different things stir us. But please believe me when I say grace. Grace is above it all. Undefined, undeserved, freely given. So yes, life is uncomfortable when we can't draw clean lines Life's uncomfortable when we don't have Tipex, so we have to rub out with one of those rubbers that leaves a a blurry mark. But I'm incredibly grateful for a God who does not mind loving me through the blurry marks of my mistakes. 